Ethos. So we all know that the economy has definitely been a different animal recently. And if you're one of those people who gets your financial statements in the mail, gets your retirement account statements in the mail, and you just can't bring yourself to open them, maybe you put them on a very high shelf because you just don't want to look at what's going on with your financials and with the market right now, this podcast is just for you. I'm Angela Derrick, and you are listening to the next simple step. And I am so excited to introduce to you my friend and mentor, Ashley Gilbert. She is the founder of Financial Coaching Institute. And I want to share a little bit about what she says on her website first, before I tell you how I know her personally. Ashley wants to help you become a better investor. She's a professional trader. She knows how scary and intimidating trading the markets can be and investing can be. And what I love about her is she says, I've made every trading mistake when I started out. (laughs) And that's very comforting to somebody like me. And what she's done is she's founded Financial Coaching Institute and created easy to follow directions to be able to teach beginners how to start trading quickly without all the expensive mistakes. And I personally can attest to her trading methods because she taught me She took me from being like, I don't trade the market. I don't do that to in like three months, four months being like, hey, I'm trading all this stuff and I've never made this kind of money before. And that's why I'm so excited to be able to introduce you to my friend and mentor, Ashley Gilbert. Thank you so much for coming today. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Angela. I am really excited to be here and it's a pleasure to be able to share some of the information, the knowledge that I have with your guests today too. Yeah. And actually, before we go any further, I know that we have to kind of warn everybody that everything that gets discussed here, this is not personal advice. This is purely for financial education. But I promise you, if you hang out with us and you stay tuned, you're going to get a fantastic financial education because I know Ashley has been there, done that. And and can you just kind of share a little bit, Ashley, what your background has been? Because you've you've done everything. You've sat at the feet of some of the greatest investors, teachers. You've been on the pit trading, the actual stock exchange. Like you've had quite a plethora of experience when it comes to your financial knowledge. Um, well, sure. Well, I really started out as a personal investor, right? I was young. And when my husband and I first got married, I'd already been dabbling in the stock market a bit. And, uh, but I really said, hey, you know, we're a brand, we're a partner now, or I have a partner now. And we need to make sure that as our married couple brand, that we're set for life. We want to make sure that we can retire young and early and be in really good shape. So my initial goal when I started uh, as that, as that young, bright-eyed newlywed was, hey, if we just earn a few more percent a year, it's going to translate into millions of dollars for us. We were good earners. We had nice, good corporate jobs. And so that was my initial initial goal. And then as I started studying and working and figuring this out, I really developed a passion for it. And so I became a financial advisor and I did that for a while and really successful at it and was able to retire in my early 30s. Mm. So a little bit of time went by and all of a sudden I had a couple of girlfriends who said, hey, you know, you have all this knowledge. You need to share the love with everybody else. We need your help. And so that was the basis. Always when I was a financial advisor, I would help educate folks to say, hey, here's what I think we're doing. Here's why. So it was never just give me your money. I'm going to be in complete control. Right. It was always about making sure they knew what was happening. And that to me was what was so void is that people, it's not that people can't comprehend or can't understand. It's just, they're never taught. So it was a failure for us in America that we're one of these wealthy countries, but we don't teach our people how to manage their money and how to manifest and grow it and build it and do the right things for themselves. This is so true. I mean, that's one of, in fact, it's at the point where most people it's taboo, right? We don't talk about money. We don't talk about anything like that. It's like, we don't talk about Bruno. We don't talk about money. (laughs) Even couples have a hard time talking about money and they're married to each other. Some couples even choose to keep everything completely separate and, and still don't talk about it. And, um, and I can attest that, you know, even as a parent right now with a 10 year old and a five year old, I'm kind of like, Ooh, how can I begin instilling some some better practices and and helping my kids learn, you know, how to be financially smart? Because where are they going to learn it? They're not going to learn it from TV, and they're not going to learn it in school, and they're really not going to learn it anywhere else except 
from you. And then when you're on your own, it's not like you're going to college and learning financial classes. It's not like they do, hey, let's do trading 101 as a college course. Like you really have to be proactive about acquiring these financial skills. Correct. And, and it can take a really long time. That's what it did for me. It took a really long time. I would spend exhaustive hours going to the library, for example, to research stocks and do all this crazy fundamental analysis. And at the end of the day, uh, it drilled down and got to the basic point of, you know, if an institutional investor is not buying a stock or a fund or bond or whatever, the price isn't going to go up. You know, it was a, quite the realization because I would spend Saturday mornings, I'd get up and go early to the library and I'd make copies of all of these reports and documents. And I would get very intimate with the, the company, knowing all about them, who the CEO was, who their ops person was, their CFO. Wow. Uh, I would know all this detail about it. But the reality was if an institutional investor and in institutional investors, I call them a lot of times the big boys, it's the banks, it's the pension accounts, it's the insurance companies. It's the hedge funds, the venture capital funds, the real estate investment trusts, the mutual funds. They're the ones, if they're not buying it, I'm not going to see that stock go up or mm. that um, underlying increase in value. And so it was very enlightening because I had spent hours and years of my life doing all this research thinking, oh, it's going to make it great. And they can have the prettiest earnings per share, the prettiest numbers, no debt all of these awesome things, you know, fundamentally, but if the institutions aren't interested and aren't buying, it's going to hang out and not really go anywhere. Mm. All that research and all that research and Boy. all that time wasted just to invest and not have it go anywhere. Like that's, that's not what people want. I want to take a a step back for a second here, because I just I know you have so much knowledge, and and um, that my challenge is trying to figure out how to get as much of your knowledge into the time that we have as possible. Because I could literally talk to you all day about this, but I want to kind of start off with taking a step back at where where we're at, just in general, right now, even as a country, as a world, as as economic forces are happening, and there are a lot of people who are incredibly scared. They're beginning to get a lot more fearful. And, and I kind of feel like as we've gone into this month, there's been some changes. There's kind of been a, a feeling of the winds of change. Gas prices are going up. Um, inflation is a concern. Food prices are going up and stuff. And I kind of wanted to have you speak to that person who right now, maybe they were doing really well. And now all of a sudden they're like, I'm scared. I don't know what's coming financially. I don't know where that right next step is. I just feel afraid. What would you speak to that person right now in terms of where we're at and what they need to start thinking about and how they need to start preparing for what you think is coming? Sure. So just to give you a little bit of, of background as to what's been going on and what's been happening is a lot of the news and the media has really been focused in uh, since the war with the Ukraine. But if you go back and look, and that's what my clients do, they're able to go back and see that we really started hitting this um, I'll make the analogy with the tide. We actually have this riptide going on and started back in November. Mm -hmm. So, for example, when we look at the big index, the Russell 2000, we can see that we hit a peak, we hit a high, and we started seeing a major pullback. That's down the Russell 2000, for example. One of the big indexes is 2,000 companies in it, small cap companies. Uh, has lost more than 30% since in the last six months. So this is number one has started happening uh, a lot sooner than we, when people are starting to identify. So the fear is actually been kind of slow to, to come up to the surface or bubble up to the surface. And so I totally understand and get that fear. What has to happen in order to move past that fear, a lot of times comes because you are not educated, you don't know. So it's the fear of the unknown. How much further can it go down? Mm. Most people, like I have a millennial and she said when she 
became a client. She says, my dad told me that there are going to be years where the market goes down 50, 60%, and you're just going to have to basically suck it up buttercup is what he told her. And he said, it's just going to happen. Well, right. a 50% decline in your account means you have to make a hundred percent just to get back to break even. So if you right. have a, a $50,000 account, it goes down to 25,000. It has to go up by 25,000 or get a return of a hundred percent in order to recuperate that. So that's kind of one of those big things that you first have to, to deal with the fear, you have to assess and see where you are. Where am I? You do have to open up that statement that you referred to, Angela. You have to open it up and know and look at it and be able to decipher what's going on. But the most critically important thing that everybody should do with every penny that they have invested in the market is they have to have an emergency exit. It's what helps eliminate that fear. So they need a point that it says, hey, if the stock drops below this or this mutual fund drops below this, it has a very high probability of continuing on down. It's going to keep going down further. And so you have to limit and define those losses. Mm. When you do that, it starts reducing the scare or the fear factor that, hey, I'm going to have a market crash. Well, you know what? I may not get out at the absolute highest price, but I'm going to get out of a place where I don't open up my statement and see a 50% or 60% loss in my retirement account that I'm now under the stress and under the worry of for it to come back because not all things come back. That's the other lie that's out there is, oh, you're in it for the long haul. It'll come back. Why do you want to see that kind of damage to your account? You know, there are things that you can invest in that will benefit from the market going down or the market crashing. And so it opens up a whole other world. And that's the way you get rid of the fear. First, with the knowledge, understanding where you currently at, where you stand, and then starting to manage and take charge and control so that you don't watch and experience or live out those big declines or bursts in your account. Now, you said something that I know, but before I met you, I would have been like, huh? Well, what I can do what now? Well, what is that? Because let's just kind of zoom out to what the average investor in general across, let's say, America right now is probably doing. And for the most part, they have 401ks. They have some sort of a mutual fund or some some sort of a, a plan that they're paying into a lot of times that are by employers and stuff like that. And, and they might just get their financial statements like for the longest time, like my husband had a government job, so it wasn't 401k. It was like a, um, you're, you're going to know the right numbers and stuff. It was like a 403b or something, you know, something like that. And, and it was basically, Hey, this is our plan. We'll match you. You put money in, we put this in and that's it. And then we got statements and it was like, uh, what's it doing now? And it was a very hands-off thing. And when you say, well, you can put in some stops, some like, you know, exits, emergency exits so that you can, it goes down and then you're out of it. And you're to the, to most people, that's kind of like, what, what are these crazy emergency exits you are talking about? What do you mean? Do I have to, do you actually, can I actually go into my mutual fund and, and actually affect these things? Cause I think most people think they just put money in and it does what it does and that's it. They don't, they don't have any more say than that. But you actually teach that there's more that they could be doing right now than just kind of watch it get a haircut, right? Right. And and what you're saying is exactly true. When people start with an employer and they open up their retirement account or their 401k, that this I've experienced it. I've been there, you know, to new higher orientation. I've been worked at a, a company that rolled out their 401k and the questions that they got told you, I sat in a room with a couple thousand people uh, who were trying to learn and understand what this 401k meant. And I mean, one of the questions at the end was, so is my money at risk because it's invested in the market? And that should have been really clear at the very get-go. So what happens is it turned into a conversation of, hey, I'm looking at this fund. I'm going to put in this one. This one's done pretty well. What are you doing? Well, I was thinking about this one because this one's done pretty well. They make those choices based on past performance, right? Whatever numbers they see in front of them. And then they don't ever look at it again. And you're right, Angela, that's what happens. They just put it to the side and say, I don't need to manage it. And they are, they're on the hope and pray that it's going to magically manifest into millions and millions of dollars. The hope and pray plan. (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly what they're doing. They're hoping they're going to come back to it. And all of a sudden they're going to have millions in retirement and it's going to be magically funded and they can live, you know, retire early and all this is happening. And the reality is, is if they just 
move to cash on some of those positions instead of watching them decline. And then once they start going back up, you buy in. But as Americans, we do the exact opposite. We buy high, we get into it after we've seen it run up, after those institutions have driven it up. They need somebody, some poor schlubs to sell it to. They start selling and we see it decline and go down and we ride that wave down. They're long gone and out of it. And then once it gets so low, they start buying again. So by creating emergency exits for us and watching that volume, watching the action that's happening with each and every mutual fund that you have or stock that you have or bond fund, whatever it is you've got, you can now watch that buying and selling pressure that's happening inside of it. So you create this objective stop loss, so to speak, or emergency exit that says, hey, based on this individual position and holding, once the selling starts happening, the massacre starts happening, Mm. let's get out where it's pulled back from the high of a couple percent or maybe 5%. Let's not watch it go down to 50% loss in our account. So that's what I teach in our, my base class of win-win is knowing how to look at that and watch when the buyer and the, the buyers and the sellers start moving and taking action. We just want to jump in with them. We're playing a masterful game of follow the leader not doing the opposite. In other words, buying high and selling low because we panic and we get afraid like, oh, it's already gone down 50%. I don't want to lose it all. So I'm going to go ahead and close it out. So our we know we've heard these great sayings, buy low, sell high, but in actuality as Americans, we do the exact opposite. Yeah. I I can and 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 it's psychological too, because when you start getting in there and you actually start saying, well, let me see if I can get a little bit more control over this, right? Because there's the person that I can remember the first time we ever met with a financial person. I guess you could call him a financial advisor. I don't even feel like I can call him that. I just remember we had to meet with this person who was in charge of our deferred comp plan, and we were going to sit down and we were going to allocate our mutual funds. And I didn't know what we were doing. I just knew that this guy in a suit was in front of me at a coffee shop, and he was saying, well, if you want to be aggressive, here's the allocation. Okay, we're 20. Sure, let's do that. And that was it. That was all there was. <laughs> right. Was- there was no education and no, hey, here's how we're going to keep keep monitoring it, right? Right. It was like if this you, much. If you is have a this. health condition, you monitor that condition. Why is your money any different? It's like we do this hands off. Oh, I've made my choices. Well, inside retirement accounts, the funds change, right? What right. their their objectives may be the same, but what they have inside of them changes. And so we just want to track and make sure we know what's going on. We want to be aware of it. So just that awareness helps reduce the, like I said, the scare factor or the fear factor, and then much less being able to manage it and say, oh, this used to be a fabulous fund, but it's starting to roll over. There's a lot of sell-off that's starting to occur by those institutions, I'm going to go and hop out of it too and wait for it to finish crashing down, right? Or come down and hit that bottom. And once I see those institutions start buying it again, then I'm going to jump in. So it's kind of a logical piece where as I was spending all this time on fundamental analysis, now I'm just playing follow the leader with the big boys, you know, with the big guys, with the institutions to know how they're handling it and when they're in and when they're out. I just want to Forever for the rest of my life, play father leader. I don't care what the symbol is or what the mutual fund symbol is. I'm just going to play a masterful game of that. That And it's so freeing to kind of hear it that way and be like, is that all you have to do? Really? Is that how I can, is, is that it? I can just play follow the leader and that's it. I mean, it sounds so simple and, it is. It, it, but it, and it's almost kind of like, oh, it can't be that easy. It can't be, it can't be that simple, can it? It's got to be harder than that, right? (laughs) That's, that's usually the skepticism I get is, is that you're doing, you're saying it's just that simple. It is. It's following the big money. When the big money's buying, the stock's going up. When big money starts selling off, it starts going down. So what we're seeing is retail customers, we're just that small little dot and imagine, you know, a a big world. We're just a small little speck as the retail customer in comparison with the volume and the amount that institutions do. And so they kind of condition us, right? Is when by the time somebody gets a quote unquote tip, 
it's usually because institutions are ready to sell it. They've driven and taken that price up. And so uh, we as Americans, that American greed kicks in, right? And we're like, oh, it's headed up. It's headed up. I'm going to jump in. Well, again, they need somebody to sell it to when it's at its high. And that's when we jump in. Not going, hey, they started buying it four months ago or two months ago, uh, as you can see. And at some point, it gets up so high and they start selling. And then when it gets so low, they start buying again. They're interested in. So they have all those numbers figured out. We don't have to know what those numbers are. We just have to simply follow their volume. So is that why um, a lot of investors will get bitter and be like, it's all manipulated. The market is all manipulated. And and they'll like start using that type of terminology. Is is that kind of why people think the market is quote unquote rigged or manipulated or this or that? Partly because they're programmed that way. And then partly there are some devices put in place. For example, there's the presidential plunge protection team that can go in and um, I won't mention names, but there are larger companies that will go in and start uh, buying when an index or a large like an S&P 500 or the Dow starts going down, that they can go in and start basically surrogately buying and making it look pretty and making it look fantastic, right? And like, oh, it was just a temporary downturn. So there is some manipulation that goes on. Uh, but again, if we're following the big the big guys, we're following the big institutions, that's noise to us. Again, as we're playing follow the leader, when they're buying, we're going to be buying. When they're selling, we're going to start selling. Uh, it doesn't really matter. The rest is just noise. Yeah. It, and then that just becomes a limiting belief or an excuse because there are people that are doing well right now. There are people that take the time to learn. There are people that choose to kind of take more control of their strategy and put some things in place and they can do well. I remember when, um, right after we had that meeting with the, uh, I don't even know who that person was, the, the financial person, right? That is like, you should put into deferred comp and here's what you can do. My husband all of a sudden had a coworker who was trading. And so mm-hmm. then next thing I know, my husband, and this is probably true for a lot of couples, like there's probably in, in a lot of the financial relationships, you know, of, of couples and stuff, there's usually the one person who has an interest in this stuff. And then there's the one that doesn't. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and I was the one who was like, oh, go, 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 you know, that's great. Fantastic. I'm glad you like this. <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm glad you understand those little, what are they called again? Candles. Okay. I'm glad that you can see that and you can understand decipher that, that you just go <laughs> get on with your bad self. And, but he would, he would go to work and he'd have a bunch of buddies at work and they'd be like, Oh, we're trading this. We're trading that. And next thing I know, he's taking the little bitty deferred comp that we were putting into, because that was the only thing we could really manipulate or do anything with. And there was a lot of rules with it. Mm -hmm. Um, he was then going with his buddies and he was like, well, let me just see what happens if I were to take advantage of this myself. And at the same time, he was kind of reading some books on the subject and he was trying to look for different advice because he wanted to feel like he had a little bit more control, like he had the ability. And that was like the first time I remember in our financial history that it was right. Uh, gosh, I want to say this was like in 2012 or so. It was after the big, awful uh, financial oh. crisis with the housing and and stuff like that. He started to read up on and try to get some advice, get some learning and stuff. And he did a little test and he put some money aside and he was like, okay, I'm going to trade this amount of my money. Therefore, if I lose it, it's no big deal. We still have the rest of ours um, that's in our markets and stuff like that. And I'm just going to see what I can do with it. And I'm just going to see if this outperforms what the rest of our money is doing. And he was actually able to double that on his own, just with his own acquired knowledge, not with any special, like he was reading books and talking to friends who knew, who had more experience than him. And, and so I can see how like a little bit of knowledge can actually help you create a better return. And it's not like he became a full-time investor. He was just saying, well, what if I take an active role in my finances? And I would love for you to speak to that because I know that this can be an area where a lot of people, me included, would be like, I don't have time to learn how to do this. Well, I just want to give it to... (laughs) Because I've even heard my husband say this. Can we just give it to Ashley and she manage it for us? We don't have to think about it, right? That's like the default a lot of people have because you've been a financial manager. So you you know that a lot of people just want to give it to somebody who's smart and you manage it. 
and I'll just pay you and you manage it and we'll be good. Talk about the the bonuses, but then also the downsides of why or why not you may not want to have that attitude. And that was a lot of the times why folks would come and see me as a financial advisor is they would have gotten enough in savings or built up their assets enough that all of a sudden they would seek that professional like, and they thought it was like luck. Hey, I was lucky enough. We've gotten this little nest egg. So now I need to turn it over to the professionals. So the sad news is, is that 80% of money managers, professional money managers, do not outperform the market. So you could just go and buy something that represented like the S&P 500 or NASDAQ or whatever, the beginning of the year, sell it in the year, and you're going to have outperformed. So that's one of those dirty little secrets they tend to not share that professional money managers don't really take an act. They're not actively engaged. Right. So there's all kind of limitations in that thought process that I'll turn it over to a professional. So I had my series seven, uh, which is the highest series testing that you can get to understand, to trade and be a broker in the stock market. And I was amazed at how many folks uh, did not really understand. They were they were taught to in the industry and I'm going to disparage a little bit. But in the industry, they're taught to study for that test, just pass the test. In fact, with my employer, if I I had three tests to pass, if you failed any of the tests, you were not employed, right? Mm. You were not taken on or assigned. A lot riding on that test. (laughs) Right, exactly. So there was a lot of pressure, but it would be like definition of terms. It wouldn't be, hey, how to drive somebody's portfolio. It wasn't about portfolio management or picking stocks or underlines. It was SEC laws and FINRA guidelines. And this is what this meant. So it was like learning rules, but not how to really trade. So when someone says, hey, I have a Series 7, doesn't mean they're a great investor. Doesn't mean they know how to pick and choose. They may have learned the same way I did, which is I, you know, followed by stock investment clubs. Hey, this is how we go and analyze the stock and we painfully go through it. So just because they're a professional and there's very many well-intended professionals out there, but they're not educated either. They are educated trying to study for a test so that they know rules and have to take ethics. They have ethics requirements and stuff that they have to do, but nothing in there is training about proper asset. It doesn't teach them how to do asset allocation, right? Mm. It's further education or credentials that help get them there, but to be given a broker's license I don't have to know, I don't know anything any more than the average investor coming in off the street. So when your husband started educating himself, he was doing better than somebody who was studying for the series seven who could professionally trade. Wow. That should scare you a little. It is (laughs) very scary. (laughs) So number one, you're turning it over to a quote unquote professional with licenses, but that's because they just know how to put in your order, right? It's the order taker, but there's not extensive training or knowledge, even from the top ones to pick stuff out because they are in charge of managing assets. Their goal is to manage as many assets as you can right? Mm -hmm. So most people are not compensated, even when they're actively, let's say they they are managing a million dollar portfolio, and they get paid 2% off that million dollar portfolio. So they wake up at the beginning of the year, they're managing those dollars, right? So if it goes up or goes down, it's not significantly impacting. Now, of course, they like it when it goes up, but it doesn't mean they've been educated properly to manage that money. So they're still going to get paid whether you win, lose, or draw at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. Now, as it draws down, they're trained to go and fill in that hole, like your assets of our management have gone down. And so even in today's financial advising magazines, I still keep, keep my subscriptions. It's always talking about AUM, their assets under management, because they get paid a fixed amount or a fixed percentage. And if they're not learning or paying attention. The other question I always ask is, you know, think of me, here I'm a financial advisor. I like you, you're my friend, my family comes in. And uh, let's say I decide, hey, this is the, the stock I want to buy. How do I pick whose accounts I put it in? What would you do? Would you say, oh, I'm going to take care of my mom and my dad, and I'm going to buy it in my sister's account. You know, you can't do stuff like that. It's called front running, right? I can't go and put it in my account and then go service and take care of other clients. But let's just say I wasn't putting it in my personal accounts at all, ever, Uh, or my friends or family. I'm having to put it into clients that I'm not related to, right, or direct friends with or whatever. How am I going to decide 
who I put in it first, right? Because I know if I've got $50 million of assets under management and I have to go spend it, I'm going to affect the price, right? 50 million is not like $5,000 to go in and do it. So there are all kinds of questions and problems that it raises. And then the other thing they're conditioned to tell for the most part, this is generally speaking, but financial advisors, if a client does call and is concerned, they don't have these emergency exits set up that you can set up for yourself, right? In fact, I just had a client this week send me a note saying, hey, my financial advisor refused to put in those emergency exits, even though I said, here's where they need to be. I'm going to tell you the number, right? After going to class. <laughs> but it's my money. <laughs> and he fired, exactly. And he had to fire and move his money away from that financial advisor. So the person refused. He'd already seen his account go down so much. He was trying to, as what, ripping off a Band-Aid. It was <sighs> trying to stop, you know, from needing a tourniquet. It's my money. And because he refused, he moved the money, right? So those are the kind of s- stories that I hear all the time. Again, there's well-intended, sweet, kind people who don't wish that happens, but the default in the industry is when your account value goes down is the answer is you're in it for the long haul. If you've heard that from a financial advisor, that is total propaganda, right? Uh, in other words, I'm not going to actively look. I'm not going to do the right things for your account because everybody's account is going down. And that's another thing I'll hear is, well, they started talking about how much other accounts were down and mine wasn't down as much. The negative <laughs> is still negative, right? But I don't want to be down at, at all. Down and down. <laughs> is down or down very little, right? So so that's one of the key things that I focus on. And everything that I do, I write as a trading recipe, right? So you have ingredients, you need the ingredients, you need ingredients, you need a list of symbols where you know institutions are trading, right? So we're not going to, you're not going to see something on my market ingredient list that is a penny stock Mm -hmm. because a penny stock institution, think again, if I have a million to spend or go out and buy and purchase, how many shares am I going to have to buy of this $5 stock in order to spend that million bucks, right? I'm going to have to buy a lot. I'm going to have to- you're the market maker if you're doing that. So it helps get rid of a lot of that noise, a lot of the hype, the faddish stuff eliminates because again, we're focused on those institutional investors and where they are. We want to be where they are because we know we can go in and follow them for the rest of our lives. It doesn't matter what the symbol is. And so it's freeing to say, Hey, I know I'm going to follow the money, right? It's what I'm going to do. Number one. Mm -hmm. And then number two, I'm going to put in these emergency exits. So if something, a big sell-off starts happening and I'm at work or I'm at the grocery store, I know I'm going to get out with a small loss or protect profits, you know, hopefully that's the better one is that Mm -hmm. it's gone up and I've made some money and it's starting to fall, but I don't want to sit there helpless and have zero control to know that I'm at the mercy of however far it falls down or how far down it goes. That's the, what you've got to eliminate. And it takes the stress and the fear factor away from the stock market you're investing and you experience with your husband exactly what I teach, which is when you take control nobody cares about your money more than you care about your money. This is true. This is true. And we got a huge lesson in that this year, just in the sense that after, because total disclosure, I, I took, I've taken your classes and before I took your classes, I was the one who was trying to convince you because we didn't we didn't meet through anything financial. We we met a completely different way, um, working together on a completely different project. And you were the one who was like, "You've got to learn how to trade." And I'm like, "You don't understand, Ashley. I don't trade. I don't my mind. I don't know how to do math, and my mind doesn't work that way." And my husband would love your classes. Next thing I know, my husband and I are both in the classes. And after we learned some of the things that you teach, all of a sudden, like a little light bulb went off in my head, which is why I've been wanting to share what you have to say with as many people as I can, because I realized, oh, wait, if I have an emergency exit, now my now my risk is off the table. Like I know how to manage my risk. And one of the biggest reasons why for me, I was scared to get involved is I didn't want to lose my money because in my head, all I saw was a million different ways I can lose money and do it wrong and, and mess it all up. And when you're able to kind of simplify that for somebody, then you can actually take that next step forward. I remember it was like day three of your win-win class when all of a sudden I was kind of like, all right, I'm open to it. I'm open to it. And then it clicked. And I was like, oh my goodness, I can do this. I can do this. And when I had that belief shift of, I can actually do this, I'm not going to lose everything. 
I'm not, I'm never going to risk more than I'm comfortable with. And, and there's only the upside, like all of a sudden I could take that next step because the next step, simple step appears when you feel like you have confidence, when you feel like you're safe. A lot of times we don't take that step to invest or to try to learn a new skill or to try to figure the market out or whatever, because all we see is fear. We're just afraid. There's just so many different ways this could go bad, which is all I saw. And then when you showed me, no, we're going to simplify that. There's only, there's only this, this thing that you got to worry about. And if you set your emergency exit, you're good. You don't even have to worry about that. Then I was like, oh, I can't mess it up. Now I, now I can try it because I can't mess it up. You know, that's, that's really, I think what a lot of us newbie beginner investors really face, because there's a lot of fear with having to learn how to do this new thing called trading. Right. And you're exactly right. When, when I start looking at people's accounts or they share with me, Hey, here's what I've got in my portfolio or here are my holdings, you start finding things. So we, we already know buy low, sell high, right. Is that general term of how you're supposed to be successful in the market. Right. And what I'll find is, is someone will get a position and it will lose a lot of money. And what they do is they, it's like a slippery slope down, right? It'll start losing a little bit and then it just starts snowballing. And then all of a sudden they are down 50, 60, 80% in that position. Mm -hmm. So what do they hear? Oh, you're in it for the long haul, right? That's mm -hmm. what you're programmed as Americans. You're That's in it my husband haul. and me, and really. You hope but, and pray yeah. it comes back, right? You're mm -hmm. on that one. The hope and, and pray still, plan. And we've still had stocks that have not recovered. We've had the best bull market prior to starting this November, right? With our bear market that's underway. But prior to that, we had the best bull market for most of us will ever see in our lifetime. From that March 2009 low in the market to our rally of November or the first week of January, depending on, on which index or which group of stocks you're looking at. But everybody should have been a hero. And there are still things that were down 90% from their mm. decline from those mm. highs that we experienced in seven and eight and big companies, not like companies you never heard of, or these small penny stocks. We're talking big guns. So when I look at their portfolio, what happens is, is they've had this big loss sitting there, right? But then they'll get a little bit of a win. They'll they'll have something that'll go up a little bit and they are doing the exact opposite behavior, Angela. They will turn around and they'll get a little bit of profit and they'll close it out. And then they'll have another one that does a little well and they'll get a little bit of profit and they'll close it out. Well, it takes a lot, a little bit of the profits of so number one being right, right? But number two, it takes a lot of those to try to counter that big 90% loss or 80% loss from that one holding. So when you look at people or go back and look at people's portfolios and like, if you would have just gotten out here at your emergency exit, because you can go back and back test. That's what I tell everybody. I'm like, I can't make up the past. You can look at it in a chart and you can run through this right. day by day and see when you would have gotten in, see when you'd gotten out, you know, trust, but verify, right? Verify everything I say. And it's like, oh, how much would you have saved, you know, uh, with the logic? And then they wind up doing the exact opposite. They let the winners uh, they don't let them run. They take them really quick and really fast. And then the losers just sit there pulling down their money, right? Mm -hmm. And because they're in that hold period, they hold these losers and it's opportunity costs. They're they're missing out on being able to, number one, have taken a small loss on that. So people do the exact opposite. They take small gains and let their losers run. And that's the exact opposite of what we <laughs> want. They're losers. I, that, right. It's so familiar because I remember the conversation, and you know about this, that um, my husband and I had after we were like, okay, we're changing our philosophy. We're gonna we're gonna try this this strategy, this way of taking control of our money. And after taking your class, um, both of us had that conviction that, oh my goodness, we know that there's gonna be some tough markets ahead. If we keep our money where it's at and we just kind of not manage it and we just let it sit there in a mutual fund, it we don't know how much we're going to lose, right? And right. my husband had that moment where he was convicted about that because he was the one th that this was his retirement account that he had rolled into. Uh, he had taken a new job and he had rolled into um, a new IRA. So he could, he could, you know, now he had complete control over it. It was no longer in the old mutual fund that he he had it in. And he was having to make some tough decisions. And he was like, but if I take everything out, like I'm going to, if I sell it all now, he was looking at those, those underlyings he was in some of those investments he was in. And they're like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't, I don't want to sell. I don't, I don't want to sell it now. 
And, and he did, he bit the bullet and he was like, okay, I'm going to let it go. And I'm going to get out of the stuff that's underperformance, not working. And I'm going to trust. And I remember we had this whole conversation like a month later and he was like, I shouldn't have gotten out. It went so low. I could have bought more. And he was in that, like, look how low it went. And I could have been in it. And I'm like, you're telling me that you're upset because you could have been in it when it got lower. Like, like you could, you could have been in it. And, and it's so funny because it is the exact reverse psychology where I was kind of like, aren't you glad we're not in it? Look, look, we lost this much. No, I could have, I could have bought more. That's when you want to buy more. Cause that's the idea is, oh, well, great. Now it's on sale. So yay, we want it to go down. Right. Cause now it's on sale. Now I buy dollar more. cost averaging. Right. We've, <laughs> we've bought into that. And when they've studied that it doesn't work. Right. It just means you paid more at the beginning but it's that mentality of once it goes back up, it doesn't have to go as far up as it did before, but you've right. doubled down. It's penny wise, it pound is. foolish, right? It's doubling down. And that was exactly what it was. I was like, why would we double down on the losers? Like you said, let the losers run. Well, because this is what you have to do. You have to buy more when it's down. Then when it goes back up, because it has to come back, then when it goes, we're going to make all this money. And I'm like, well, who's to say Tesla's coming back? Well, who's to say, right? Right. Speaking of Tesla, right? Because that was one that my husband always loved. He loved trading Tesla. That was what his trading group kind of got him into. So he had gotten used to that. And it was that was the hardest one for him to let go of emotionally. And we've seen, like you talk about the big institutions and how, you know, we just want to play follow the leader, right? Because they're the ones that's really changing the scheme of the market. Just look at what Elon Musk did to Twitter, right? Right. Just look, just look, we've seen a case study of what one person with a whole lot of money to put in and now the market can do to the price of something. So to me, it makes sense. You can see how this is a bigger game than us. If we can just follow the leader and just do what they're doing, then we can, we, it makes more sense to me than trying to like outperform because that, that too becomes like the pitfall of people. Like my husband was saying, well, we can't outperform the market. How are we going to learn how to outperform the market? I'm like, we're not outperforming the market. We're just trying to follow the leader, right? That makes it simple. <laughs> Who are, who are smarter, wiser, have more money than most of us, have more right? more money, so, yes. So that's what I joke. They're not really smarter. They just have volume on their side. We know if they go and buy 100 million shares of an underlying, it may take them five months to do it, but we know that price is going up, right? There's more buying, the price is going up. If there's more selling, and if there's not really a clear winner between buying and selling, the price is going to go sideways. So what I knew from all my research is that, about if you buy a stock a year from now, about 60% of the time, it's going to be flat, Angela. It's going to be going nowhere, maybe up a little bit, down a little bit, let down a little bit. That lets you know that institutions aren't significantly interested in it, right? Mm. One way or the other. They're not trying to get rid of it. They're not trying to buy into it. So I, I like to make the analogy of that we just have the Derby here, the Kentucky Derby. Yes. But I think of each of your assets, each of your stocks or funds as trying to put the right thoroughbred in the gate right? We don't want the one that needs a nap. We don't want to put that thoroughbred <laughs> in the gate backwards, right? We don't want him turned around. In other words, we don't want selling happening and going on what you're joking about with your husband, but that's, that was greed kicking in. He yes. was, it was a little was bit of fear. Double down when it's low, right? right. It's, so yeah. then when it comes up smelling like a rose, you know, mm -mm, it's facing the wrong way in the gate. It is not going <laughs> to win that race, right? I don't want to put a gerbil in the gate, right? They're fast. <laughs> I had them, but I don't want a gerbil instead of a thoroughbred in the gate, right? right. I want something that's going to move and, and, and has a chance to win. And one of the things we discuss in that win-win investing class that you're talking about is this misperception of asset allocation is that, oh, you have to have this asset class in here. Well, go back and look at the folks during that recession you were talking about when things were hitting absolute lows in March of 2009. Yes. No bond that you had in your portfolio made the loss that you experienced in a stock or an underlying. When your stock was down 60%, your bond was not officially hedging, right? Mm -hmm. It may have been something positive, but a bond doesn't go up and make 60%, nope. right? Nope. To really nope. do it. So even if you just said, hey, I'm not going to even pay attention to the ways in which I can make money when the market's going down. If you just protected and moved into cash and closed things out before they started diving down, you'd have been a much happier person, you know, much more profitable person. Yep. And then when it hit the bottom and institutions start buying and it started going back up, and we can see it with the 
pandemic. We saw those first major declines in March, and then it hit rock bottom, and institutions started buying again in May, and we got another little bull lift or a little bull market with it headed up thereafter. So, But we didn't want to buy it. It's like trying to catch that knife on the way down. We don't want to do that, but that's our gut reaction, right? Is, oh, I can get even more. Now, how about we're on the sidelines in cash while it's going down? Then when it hits the bottom and the buyers start back in, we buy low. So we sold high and we bought low, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And, and we're back in it instead of, okay, we bought high. Now we're buying a little less high. And now we have to wait for that complete turnaround. And then it has to get up between whatever our new price is, our new price action. And then we start making money. That's a lot of time. And as I said before, there are many symbols that have not even recovered back from them, much less we're now uh, seeing a downturn in the market. This is so true. And, you know, side note with um, after we had that whole, after he had the whole, what have I done? I just got rid of all my positions and look, the market came back and, you know, all of that. And I was like, yeah, but we know we're, we know what's ahead of us, honey. We think long-term, right? About a month after that, he came back to me. Actually, this is fairly recently. He came back to me. He said, thank God we took our money out when we did. And I was like, right, right. (laughs) Yep. Because we looked at the indicators because we learned how to look at the indicators and we got out. And now if you were to, I know the other day I pulled up Tesla for the first time in a while and I was like, yeesh, this is a good time for all that doubling down, huh? Right. It was, it was. Oh my God. Instead of $1,000, it would have cost us $800. (laughs) Hey, look, only $500 now. Hey. (laughs) I remember two months ago, I was having fun, you know, trading it at $1,000. And what happened, right? So yeah, I mean, this is this is one of the things of I, I can totally see that. And and it's and why I wanted to talk to you so much because I feel like I've been on every so far you know, spot along this journey of learning how to take control over your own finances from stick my head in the sand and it's in a it's in a it's it's in the mutual fund. Just let it do its thing. Buy and hold. I don't want anything to do with it. To I remember 2008, 2009, where we were like, oh my gosh, we just lost half of everything. Well. Thank God we are 20 was literally our response. Well, well, at least we're 20. So we can be, you know, we have time. But if you're somebody like I've talked to recently, uh, women that are about to retire and they're looking at this bear market that, you know, I, I keep hearing people say, we're almost, we're, we're flirting with the bear market. We're edging towards the bear market in my head. I'm like, we're in a bear market, honey. We're there. <laughs> I think we're there. <laughs> You know, you are. We're in the third wave of it, actually. (laughs) It's been feeling very bearish for several months now to me. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. But, um, you know, I've got a lot of people in my life that are kind of like, oh, I don't know. I'm scared. I don't know what to do because I don't have another 20, 40, 50 years to 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 hold. Right. To buy and hold and hope it comes back. So what is your best advice as we kind of close this and wrap this up in terms of what to do looking at where the market's going for the next however many years and what is the best strategies you recommend in terms of what do you need to do? And I know you've got some classes and I know, you know, you've got a class coming up. So I would imagine that would play into, you know, what you would tell people to do, but just kind of walk through, okay, the bear market's coming. If you're near retirement, if I was in your shoes, I would do this, 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 and this. Right. So the first thing, regardless of where you are on the retirement spectrum, you're really close or far away. Number one, you have to invest in yourself. And that's with education. Mm. You have to learn what you have, how it works, how it functions. You really need to know what your risk is. When people go back and look at their 401ks and it gets explained to them a lot of times, they're like, I had no idea. That's what I was in. I just picked one that had done well, you know, in the past. That's funny. So investing in your education is the number one thing that you can do. And you're absolutely right. A bear market, a short bear market can last about 18 months. Right now, looking at the projections and how low things can go, it can go as low as where it started. So on the S&P 500, it's trading around 4,000 right now. I don't think you want to hear that it can go as low as 690, uh-huh. uh, but it can give up Ooh. all of those gains, right? I mean, I have to be a realist as to how how low can it go. So for me, I see it lasting two to four years instead of that year and a half. 
But again, remember, it's in the best interest not to tell people that we're in a bear market because these institutions are still trying to get out and liquidate their their positions, right? I don't think it's going to come back. I know. Exactly. (laughs) We're in it for the long haul. See how it bounced? Who cares if the S&P went down 165 points last week in one day? You know, a bad move in the past was like, um, you know, $30. So perspective wise, you can see it's like being on a crazy wild roller coaster. So the most important things you can do, number one, educate yourself, learn about the money flow, you know, where the money goes in, where the money comes out. But most importantly, every single position you have has got to have that emergency exit. You need to stop the bleeding or rip off the Band-Aid instead of require a tourniquet or have to amputate, right? That's why people hold those losses. It's almost like admitting I bought something wrong, admitting I failed, or it's just a paper loss, right? We had one of those big faddish meme stocks that was all the rage with the Robinhood investors, et cetera, went to zero. And they had some horrible stories that came out of when it went to zero and what people, you know, were doing and how they were reacting. We want to reduce the stress level of trading as much as possible. The worry, the anxiety, all of that needs to go away or be manageable, right? So, hey, I know here's how much if I get out, here's how much I'm going to lose, but it's a manageable loss. It's not an overwhelming, it's not devastating, and it's not watching something go to zero. Because believe me, I lived through WorldCom and Enrom's of the world, the ones that completely went to zero and saw the impact of those, right? Mm. And then you need something that is just regular maintenance, kind of like brushing your teeth. You need to be able to spend two to five minutes a day looking and assessing, watching that money flow, figuring out, hey, do I need to get out? Do I need to change my emergency exit? Do I need to increase it a little bit because it's gone up a smidge? But don't let things get out of control. Don't be on that slippery slope slide down where it's down 10%. Now it's down 30. And this is what people said in fall of 2008. And I heard it over and over. It can't go any lower. It can't go any lower. It <laughs> was last words. Six or seven months, right? <laughs> before it hit that bottom. And I'm starting to hear that again. So not only I'm, I'm saying, hey, people are starting to get freaked out. But institutions don't want you freaking out because you're going to panic sell and drop stuff even faster, right? It's that self-fulfilling prophecy. So, hey, we, but look, we had a great day yesterday at Recovered. We've had some historically low, highly volatile days, right? That should not be occurring. We had one on Black Friday. It was a hard, worst Black Friday since in 40 years, right? Just in the last two weeks, we had the worst down day uh, in four years. This is that riptide. This is signs that, hey, you're moving and you're trying to swim for the shore and you're thrown off course, right? You can't get in, you're struggling. Yeah. And you don't want your money struggling, right? You don't want to be stressed. We have enough going on in our crazy, busy, wicked world that we live in that we don't need the added stressor of, am I going to have to, will I be able to retire? So for those of you close and really nearing retirement, they've done plenty of studies that based on what type of market it is, how how well you do and how long your money lasts. And when people retire right during a bear market, right, they've seen everything go down, they take out less money, so they have less to live off of, they don't work on their bucket list or their dream list of items, and sometimes they have to go back to work. Mm. So my win-win class teaches you how to make money when the market's going down, and that's the missing element. That's the secret sauce, so to speak, is knowing how to profit when stuff's going down. That's huge, and that has been huge for me because it's it's nice knowing that uh, I have a plan, I can manage the risk, and I have a way to actually thrive when everybody else is going, oh my gosh, the sky is falling. The sky is falling. Run or, you know, or hold on, batten down the hatches, right? It has been so nice to be able to kind of listen to some of the noise, as you call it, and just be like, not me. That's not going to be my reality. Not me. I've chosen. I've made a different choice. Uh, How about I choose to prosper during this time? I like having that in, as being a viable choice when we're looking at, you know, recession or bear market or any of these other scary words. Oh, yeah, because stocks climb upstairs and they fall out of windows, right? And so when you can flip that and when it's falling out the window for everybody else and you're on the elevator up, you're like, oh, it's just unbelievable, 
right? It's, it's a completely different feeling that you yeah. kind of enjoy it and like it. And it's pleasurable because you know, your counts going up, not down. Yeah. And you can help more people that way. I, I, I will say like the first day that I had where the, where I was listening to people talking about, Oh, this is the worst day in the market since blah, blah, blah. And I was looking at my account. I was like, I made a lot of money today. <laughs> <laughs> This feels good. And then you kind of feel very good for the last two weeks. Yes, You kind of feel bad. You're like, uh, I feel bad for the people who don't know what I know. But what's really cool is it doesn't take a whole lot to get that knowledge. I mean, you just have to choose. You just have to choose. Okay, I'm going to go to the person who can teach me. How do I prosper during this time? And I have to, you know, your, your classes are a week long and I just need to invest the time and the energy and, and decide. And for me, it was really about deciding. I'm going to decide to learn. And when I made the decision that I am going to learn this, I'm going to, uh, this is an adulting skill that I need to adopt. Then it, it really wasn't as bad as I was afraid that it was going to be, because I, I'm sure you hear this all the time. Me and my husband were both like, we don't want to become day traders, right? You don't have right. to learn how you don't have to become a day trader in order to make your strategies work. Right. The, the goal is you walk out of win-win investing class and you're spending two to five minutes just maintenancing and looking, seeing what's going on. If anything has changed, have the institutions, are they doing something different than they were doing the day before? And you want to catch it as quickly as it starts happening, right? So that you can take action. Uh, but you, you're not spending hours upon hours. You're not going to the library, copying stuff or paying for expensive subscription services. It's that you know how to do it yourself. It doesn't matter what the symbol is or the investment is. You know how to manage it. You know how to manage your risk. You know how to take your profits before it starts rolling over and pulling back. Yep. Um, again, just back to the basic basic example. The class is simple. It's Monday through Friday, uh, 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern. So two hours a day for five days. I throw in a couple extra bonus sessions to help explain brokerage basics. If you've never uh, put in orders before, you know how to do that as well. I explain and spend some time on retirement accounts. But it's not a big investment in yourself in order to have this knowledge for life. It's really is teaching you how to fish for yourself. So you're not intimidated in in the future. It doesn't matter what's going on, what all that noise is happening. You know how to not only protect yourself, but also how to thrive no matter what is happening with the market. Awesome. What is your next class and where can somebody check out your classes, your information, your blog, all that good stuff? Sure. So the next class actually starts June 6th and we'll run Monday through Friday again. And then we have some bonus sessions on Saturday. If you can't make one particular evening, uh, all the sessions are recorded and available for playback for a few weeks afterwards. And uh, then we do a follow-up session where it gives you a chance to kind of test drive. Uh, I show you how to create a practice account, kind of like playing a game with the market. Uh, and you can paper trade and practice all your knowledge out with pretend dollars, like playing Monopoly before you learn how to actually go and buy a hotel, right? Or buy a house. Certainly we hope we don't go to jail, right? <laughs> we want to pass go and collect. I don't, I don't think bucks. the account will let you do that. That's the good news. Right. <laughs> so, so registration ends for that class on June 5th. And uh, it's a great way. To, you're going to get a recipe again, a trading recipe. You'll know what to do. And uh, it's a fun time. You know, we learn lots, but most importantly, you're taking control. You've learned what you need to learn and you can never be fearful again. And if someone is listening to this um, past when, when this class is being offered, how often do you offer your win-win investing classes and, and all of your classes? Because you've got, you've got more than just win-win. Win-win is like the foundation. And then if you get into it and you're like, ooh, I can do this. I love this. Like I did. Um, and I was like, oh my goodness, maybe I'm a, maybe I'm a trader. Maybe I am. <laughs> Uh, I, started exactly to, right. <laughs> I started to get the, the, the I, I drank the Kool-Aid and I was like, oh no, I'm one of them. I'm a trader. This is kind of fun. Uh, you've got some other stuff that, I mean, you, it's not just this one class. If somebody, you know, uh, learns the win-win strategy and then says, well, I want to learn a little bit more. You've got some other options too. Sure do. So my website is financialcoachinginstitute.com. And the next class that is offered is called Options Trading for Accelerated Profits. And the intent of that class is to teach you a couple of recipes on how you can generate some weekly income. So for example, if you own a stock and it's doing well and you'd like to rent it out and make some income for renting it out for a week, which is kind of cool, um, you learn how to do that. Another of the recipes or the other strategy is to teach you how to get paid. While if you commit to buy a stock on a sale price, 
you can get paid throughout the week while you wait for it to hit your price. So could you imagine if, you know, your local store had prime rib for $5 a pound and you could get paid while you waited on it to go on sale twice a year to $5 a pound. So some really cool next level stuff. The classes that are after that are done private or private coaching sessions so that they're very specific. The recipes that are, are chosen are very specific to each uh, individual trader, the risk tolerance, the dollar amount that they have or they're interested in. But whenever folks are ready for that at next level, so be it. Win-win is designed for somebody who is still working, who's trying to manage. But I get a lot of retirees in there. Same thing as they want to protect. They just, if they could just not have a negative year in retirement, it would be fantastic for them, right? right? Even with inflation being as high as inflation is, uh, that would be a big deal not to ever be worried about a 20% loss or a 50% loss in their, in their account. So when folks are ready, we go to those next levels. I have plenty of recipes to fill a cookbook to get cooking in the market, not a problem. So it's kind of fun and exciting because we have different levels and next level uh, things. So if folks want to be a little more active trading, they can be. Uh, but I have uh, traders from teenagers to all the way up to in their 90s who are actively trading and using my recipes. I love it. Absolutely love it. All right. Well, we will make sure that also we link to your um, Financial Coaching Institute website um, also and, and your classes and stuff in, in the links below the podcast. And Ashley, thank you so much for at least inspiring a little bit of hope and showing that, you know, it is possible to get the right tools, the right training and the right education to be able to thrive in, in what, in the market, no matter what, no matter whether you're a bear bull, whatever, um, any type of situation that, that you can actually learn what you need to learn to be able to thrive. Thank you so much. I hope we help out as many of your listeners as we possibly can. Excellent. 